me take you back a lot of decades ago, and I remember being in community college. One of my first classes, Psychology 101. There I was given a textbook, and in the textbook, I was first exposed to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. At the bottom level, the most important came the physiological needs, having food and drink. But after that came the level of security. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to sacrifice your own security to give security to others? Today, we're going to find out exactly how the Apostle Paul did that. Three soldiers invade enemy territory by order of their commander. Shortly after setting up the camp, notification of two other important missions via radio communication is relayed. The veteran sergeant understands the gravity of the situation and needs at hand and makes a decision. He chooses to remain in hostile territory and dispatches his other two well-trained servants to those hot spots while remaining alone. Paul finds himself in a similar situation. He travels to Athens and then commands Silas and Timothy to join him. That's Acts chapter 17 in verse 15. Apparently, Silas leaves Paul for another assignment, and then Paul dispatches Timothy to go to Thessalonica to see how those saints are doing. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that we'll see today. But sacrificially, Paul remained alone in the philosophical capital of the world. Turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Three questions for you. Like the veteran sergeant and Paul, would you sacrifice your security for others? Number two, have you trained soldiers of Christ for difficult assignments? And then number three, how well do you know the spiritual status of your spiritual progeny? In other words, how mature are those that you have trained? First, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For, in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be 
in vain. What a privilege to lead you in prayer before we look into God's word. Father, we need you. Only your Holy Spirit can give us the understanding we need from this text. He was instrumental in writing these words, Father. Thank you that there was a co-authorship, human author and divine. So, Father, speak to us today through your indwelling spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice the word, therefore. Could be translated, wherefore. The inferential conjunction connects the previous section about Paul and Silas and Timothy's desire to go back and see the saints at Thessalonica and now why he dispatches Timothy. He writes, when we could no longer endure it. Endure here literally means to cover, but it doesn't mean that Paul's covering up his emotions. It's just the opposite. He could not take life any longer without knowing how these saints were doing. You recall he was there at Thessalonica, founded the church, probably a few months later, was kicked out of town, persecuted out, if you will. And now he has to know, how are they doing? We thought it good to be left in Athens alone. When Paul used the word we here, it's an editorial we, because he is truly by himself. See, he doesn't like drawing attention to himself. He's not an individual that is always speaking in the first person singular and I or me. What he is doing here is using the others, but as it turns out, he is all alone. And the word alone is placed strategically at the end of the verse here because it's emphatic. Showing the loneliness. See, Paul arrived in Athens without Timothy and Silas. So what does he do? He sends for them. That's Acts chapter 17. After time, he sends both of them out for different missions. We're not sure exactly where Silas went, but then Timothy was sent to Thessalonica to get an update on how they were doing. See, because down here in verse 5, and now just notice the detail, for this reason, when I, see, he's not talking about we now, he says I, I could no longer endure. I want you to consider Paul's loneliness, but more importantly, the sacrifice he had made to what be left. The word left here is not only to leave from the Greek verb, but has the preposition as an intensifier in it. It's the idea of feeling even abandoned. It's sort of the idea, and we can see the term used in Luke 15 and verse 4, about the shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but one gets lost. What does he need to do? And it's hard on him. He leaves the ninety-nine. He abandons them for a short period of time to go get the other sheep. Paul was orphaned at Athens. He was all alone. And so with that in mind, I want you to consider point number one. 
Sacrifice your security for the saints' security. Sacrifice your security for the saints' security. I can remember decades ago taking psychology 101 at the community college, given a textbook, and there I learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It derived from a paper that the man wrote in 1943. And if you remember the pyramid, some of you who have seen the chart, that at the bottom of the pyramid, the foundation was having your physiological needs met. The most important thing to a human is that you have food and drink, the essentials of life. But the next layer, the next level dealt with safety or security needs. That's inherent to mankind. We need to be secure if possible. Think of what Paul had done. Jesus had established a principle of sending out the disciples by twos. Why? So they would not be alone on the mission. Paul, by his own choice, sends both Silas and Timothy elsewhere and is feeling like an abandoned orphan. That's making a sacrifice. Would you give up your own security? I mean, literally take money out of your own wallet, out of your own bank account to meet the needs of another believer? Would you do that? Would you sacrifice yourself Going to serve someone else, even if it's dangerous, that's the Apostle Paul. So don't minimize the importance of what we have here. And by the way, where did Paul learn this from? Well, I can't think of any greater security than heaven. Can you? And yet our Lord Jesus Christ left heaven, very secure, to come down here to be born of a virgin in order to be reared by Mary and Joseph, to be rejected by his brothers, ultimately to be rejected by the nation, and then to be crucified on a Roman cross. Jesus left his security for our salvation. And we are told to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a slave. And what did he do? He came down here, sacrificed his life for you and me. He gave up, if you will, his security. We need to do the same, child of God. Let a man deny himself. Let him take up the cross and follow me. It's a difficult path, but to find your life is to lose it, as we learn from Mark chapter 8. Number two, send well-trained servants to stabilize the saints. Send well-trained servants to stabilize the saints. It tells us that you have to spend time training people so then you can dispatch them on key missions 
when necessary. So what does Paul do? He sent Timothy. The word send here is used officially. In the same way, it was used of John the Baptist dispatching officially two of his disciples in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2. How much trust do you have in those that you've trained? Here's Timothy. What do we learn about the man whose name means honoring or valuing God? The first time we read about him is in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derby and Lystra. This is Paul. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Verse 2, and this is critical. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. He had quite a testimony in two places. Those people that knew him best thought the most highly of him. And can I ask you that question? Those who know you best, do they think the most highly of you? First Corinthians chapter four. You think about an assignment from the Lord. Father, I'll do anything. Oh, I want you to go to Corinth. Oh, Lord, how about somewhere else? <laughs> Paul had led the Corinthians to Christ. Oh, and they were living like mere men. That's first Corinthians chapter three. Paul spent so much time there, but had to move on. Who could he send to an environment where there were divisions? They were having lawsuits against one another. There was a case of incest in the church that apparently the fellow believers approved of. Perhaps they were tolerant because they were a loving lot. They had abused spiritual gifts and on and on and on. So, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Mimic me. Follow me. Verse 17. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son. I love the affection my faithful son and Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. What Timothy would do when he got to Corinth would remind those believers of Paul. As I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul could send Timothy. Who is he back in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2? He is our brother. And minister of God. Minister. It means a servant. The term first appears in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Jesus says, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. The term was originally used of waiters. John chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 9. So Timothy is a minister. He's a servant of God and our fellow laborer. 
in the gospel of Christ. Fellow laborer. One word, compound, used 13 times from the Greek New Testament. Speaking of a a co-worker or a co-laborer, and every time the term is used, it speaks about those who have partnered in Christ. First time it's used of the husband and wife team, Priscilla and Aquila, Romans 16, verse 3, who risked their own necks for my life. Hmm. Then we have the term also, and why don't we turn there? Uh, Just go to your left, over to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 25. 2.25, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and one who ministered to my need. Then Paul goes on to say here that this man was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So Paphroditus got sick for indeed he was sick. This is verse 27, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon Sorrow. Now that's sacrifice. Priscilla Aquila risked her own lives in the cause of Christ. Paphroditus almost died serving Christ. They were all committed to the same message the gospel of Christ. Don't be ashamed of it. It is God's power unto salvation for everyone who believes. Paul continues to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Key term here, to establish you. To establish, that's the purpose of sending Timothy, was to establish them. Uh, We see that this term, which means originally a buttress or support, comes up in chapter 3, in verse 13, so that he may establish, there's a term, your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, the word establish has the definite article before it, which connects both establish and encourage. The term here, encourage, used 108 times from the Greek New Testament, literally means to be called alongside of. Paul initially encouraged these saints. Look back with me to chapter 2 in verse 11. As you know how we, here's our term, exhorted, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Now he has dispatched Timothy, who will do the same. Build up 
the saints, encourage them. So Timothy was sent to establish, to make them firm, to make them fixed, to make them strong. By the way, I, I love the term established, just going back one second. It's a word picture derived from Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. Moses is on the Mount of God praying, hands and arms folded, probably with eyes directed to heaven. Joshua is down in the valley fighting against the Amalekites, but Moses got weary in his prayer. And there were two men, Aaron and Hur, who came to establish Moses. They held up his arms, if you will, so that he could be strong. That's exactly what Timothy does. He goes, he reminds the Thessalonian saints of Paul and his teaching he establishes them. He makes them firm. And then he encourages them. But concerning what? Their faith. Faith is a prevalent theme in this book. We see it here in verse 2, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 10. It's all about the Thessalonians remaining strong in their faith. In Colossians 1, 23, Paul writes, if indeed you continue in the faith, there's a strong desire by those who serve the Lord to come alongside, to help make firm those who might be struggling, that they continue for the Lord. That's what we've seen from Paul. That's what we saw from Silas and Timothy. So very important. But remember this, everyone, as you go through trials, it's to make your faith strong. In James chapter one, in verse three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance. Our faith is tested so that we might become strong, enduring saints. Paul continues here in verse 3 that no one shall be shaken by these afflictions. By the way, this is a secondary purpose. See, if the Thessalonian saints through Timothy's ministry are established and encouraged, then they won't also be shaken. You see that? Be shaken. Term only appears here from the Greek New Testament. It originally was used of a dog's wagging tail. <laughs> the idea was probably to get attention. Later, the term was used of flattery. And here, the idea is to disturb the mind. See, the mind is going back and forth with the emotions. Paul didn't want them to be shaken by what their afflictions Initially, they were strong. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word. Remember, they put out the welcome mat for God's word in what? Much affliction. But they also had the joy of the Holy Spirit. So Paul didn't want them to be shaken by these 
afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Emphatically, he says, you know this. You know this. He had reminded them often of things that they had already known throughout chapter 1, chapter 2 of this book. And then Paul says that we are appointed to this. Now, if you take the narrow view that we, perhaps speaking of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, are appointed to these afflictions, that would be one way to interpret here the we. Because in Acts chapter 9, in verse 16, Paul is told uh, through probably Ananias later on, because Jesus appears to Ananias, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was going to endure a lot for Christ. But then if you take the broader view where we see the we, not only Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but all the saints. Because in Acts chapter 14, in verse 22, we learn we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And let me encourage you, child of God, and yes, I mean encourage, that we are going to have to endure trials and sufferings. Paul says we are appointed, you see, to this. There is a divine commission that is given because in verse 4, Paul says, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation. Not just Paul, not just Silas. Not just Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All. If you have no persecution ever, you're not godly. Those that are godly and desire to lead godly lives suffer persecution. Satan hates Jesus. He hates all believers and will rise up those opposed to the cause of Christ. It happened to Paul. That's how he got put out of Thessalonica. And we can anticipate persecution. Consider Philippians chapter 1 in verse 29. For to you. It has been granted in behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Think about it. We are appointed to this. But I want you to do the math. I want you to think about your short lifespan. James 4.14 says, it's a vapor. Then compare that to our future glory and future rewards if we remain faithful, endure persecution. Paul writes it this way when he compared the two. Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We have glory coming because we have been predestined 
to be conformed to the image of Christ. He will complete that at the rapture. But there will be even a greater glory, I believe, for those who identify with Christ. A glow that will be carried for all of eternity. Amazing what we have before us. Paul says, just as it happened, and you know. What happened in Thessalonica? (laughs) Paul got put out of town with Silas. There was persecution. They had endured it in the past. And then in verse 5, for this reason, going back to the suffering of verse 4, when I, notice this first person singular here, when I could no longer endure, I sent, and here's the purpose, to know your faith. Paul had to know how they were doing. Good shepherds have to know how the sheep are doing. They cannot sleep well at night unless they know the saints are doing well. I sent to know your faith. Paul expresses the team's care for these saints. He shows emotionally his own feelings. And now for our third and final point, Seek to know the saint's spiritual status. Seek to know the saint's spiritual status. You have to know how those you are shepherding are doing. To the best of your ability, know the state of your flock. That is very important. And by the way, that's a burden. It is. And you can't escape it. When Paul lists the various things he had suffered in 2 Corinthians 11, the physical torment he endured through beatings and shipwreck and lacking food and on and on and on. Listen to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. That was a burden. What's Paul's concern? Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you. The word tempt can be used either positively or negatively in the scripture. And the translation usually bears it out. To Philip in John chapter 6 and verse 6, Jesus tested him. He basically says, hey, where can we have enough money. Where can we go to buy food for all these people with the feeding of the 5,000? He was just simply giving a test. That's one way the term is used, but it is also used of the wicked one. The first two New Testament uses of this term refer to Satan. Matthew 4, 1 and 3. So notice this Last by some means, the tempter. That would be Satan. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, to Ananias, Peter says, Satan filled your heart. Notice Paul's concern was that Satan would have come, led the Thessalonians astray, and then he would say, 
and our labor might be in vain. The idea would be fruitless. He didn't want it to be hollow. You got to know how the sheep are doing. Got to make time. You have to expend energy to know that they are fine. If you want to imitate the heart of the Lord Jesus, that later of the apostle Paul. So number one, sacrifice your security for the saints security. Can you think of someone in the Christian life that has made great effort for you? Someone that has given his or her time, perhaps resources, has given everything that they have had in order that you might be fine spiritually. Now you need to imitate that. Remember in 1 Corinthians 4.16, imitate me, says Paul to the Corinthians. And then he says, I've sent Timothy to you as you have had a model shown to you of sacrifice and of one's own security for your security. Now you need to be willing to do the same for others. Number two, send well-trained servants to stabilize the saints. See, it's assumed, child of God, that you are making disciples. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. The main verb, make disciples of all the nations. That should be your lifetime occupation. Training others, leading individuals to Christ, and then training them to the degree one day, as it says in Luke 6 and verse 40, that the student become like the teacher. So when Paul sends Timothy, and Timothy reminds the Corinthians of Paul, when you are dispatched, you should remind others of your mentor. That's the idea. Send well-trained servants to stabilize the saints. And may I ask you over the last week, whom have you shepherded? Over the last month, who have you spent time training to carry on the work of the Lord? What efforts have you made personally to stabilize, to encourage, to make sure that they're not shaken? And if you can't write anything down, it's just time to get in the game and stop kidding yourself about your little phony Christianity. If you're not making disciples, then you're not fulfilling the greatest commission given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Send well-trained servants to stabilize the saints. You need to be under the tutelage of godly pastors, godly disciple makers. You need to stop fighting. If you're truly spirit-filled, you submit. You sit at their feet. You learn. But then you take what you learn, and then you disciple Others And number three, seek to know the saint's spiritual status. Paul says, I'm willing to be left alone just to find out how the Thessalonian saints are doing. He had to know. Make an effort. Check up on those that God has entrusted to you. If they have wandered from the flock, make every effort to bring them back in. No sacrifice is too great. We need to be willing to sacrifice our own security 
We need to be willing to give up our time to train others for ministry. We need to make every effort to make sure that the saints are spiritually strong. Please take these three points. Act upon them this week. If you have not been practicing them, repent. Change your mind. Acknowledge to God that you have sinned in not carrying out what we are called to do. Come up with a plan how to implement these things for God's glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I so appreciate the journey I'm on through First Thessalonians with the saints. We've learned much. We've seen that they've been afflicted and yet have had joy. We understand the heart of the Apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy as spiritual parents and the great sacrifice they made for these saints. We sense the heart of the Lord Jesus because as he left heaven a sacrifice, so Paul made a great sacrifice to make sure that these saints would be secure, even if it meant losing his own security. Thank you for the disciple making process we are reminded about here and a need to train servants and make them strong and then to make sure that they're doing well. Help us, Lord, not to deceive ourselves that we are truly disciple makers when we're not. If necessary, Lord, if we're not doing what we're called to do, may we repent. May we submit to the teaching of the word of God and act upon these things. In obedience to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>